the extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Okay, welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Rob Field, and I am doing a takeover episode where Alan has invited me to come on and ask him his thoughts about business, just in case you didn't get enough of those already in all the other episodes. <laughs> yeah, they probably already like, had enough. This is not a selling point currently. I said in the intro, Alan, I'm like, I don't quite get what's different here. Um, <laughs> we're going to hear your opinions. We're going to potentially hear some of mine as well. You never know. But just so, for anyone who doesn't know who I am, um, my name is Rob Phelan. I'm a high school math and personal finance teacher in Frederick, Maryland, uh, which is in the US on the East Coast. I run a business called The Simple Startup, where I teach 10 to 18-year-olds how to start their first businesses and following very much in the same kind of mentality as what Alan does with Rebel Business School, where we're starting for as close to free as possible. We're not doing a business plan. We're trying to start as fast as possible and grow the business that our customers actually want and need. And uh, Alan was one of the first people that I actually talked to about this idea when it was in its infancy. And you were very generous in getting on a call with me, just, you know, some unknown person just to talk about, oh yeah, here's how you, here's how you teach people about business and do it without a business plan, which was a new idea for me at the time. I think I'd heard you on Shoes of Fi and I was like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I want to talk to this person. Uh, so thank you very much for being part of the, uh, the genesis of The Simple Startup. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to share the ideas. And the, the general mission of what I do is to change the way entrepreneurship is taught, because I think in general, it puts people off doing it rather than helps people get going. So anything I can do to help help those young people get going quicker and actually make some money and have some fun doing something they love, I am all in. And it's, it's an exciting thing to teach young kids, because um, you know this, that Jobs are something that we think we have to do. That's the normal. You get a job. And when we think about getting a part-time job, most of us think, oh, we have to wait till we're maybe 15, 16, 17 before someone will actually hire me to do anything or I can legally work. Versus if you start your own business, there's no floor really to how old you need to be to start. And when we've talked about personal finance, you can start contributing to your retirement the moment you start actually bringing in your own income. So it's like a double-edged sword here for this is why we need to start a business right now. <laughs> Rob, it made me think, uh, my little brother had kids a couple of years ago. They're two years old. They were two years old last weekend. So happy birthday to Max, Scarlett and Troy. He had triplets, which is kind of scary. Yeah. Three in one go. And uh, he started an Instagram account for them, which I think now has a couple of hundred thousand followers called London Triplets. Wow. And he's been paid to do some posts and he takes all of that money that uh, he gets from that Instagram account and puts it in the kids' retirement funds and in their investment funds. Uh, so it's really interesting. He's built this thing and is helping the kids through the sponsorship money he gets from the Instagram. That's amazing. Uh, my son is almost two and he has an Instagram, but it's like a private one that we're just kind of like chronicling his life on because it's way easier than like printing out baby books and doing stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I'm just about to release a kid's book and I'm going to start using him as like, you know, a, a, almost like a prop, like I'm going to have him like holding the book up or stuff like that. So I'm excited to start being able to pay him as a baby model and maybe throw some money into his Roth IRA as well. <laughs> 
That's but, fantastic. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk about how to basically stop being an entrepreneur for a little bit, just kind of like push pause and say, no, Alan, no, Rob, you can't do that right now. <laughs> um, because we both just, we were chatting before we got on live and we were both kind of saying, yeah, we've said yes to too many projects right now. And it's really time to start like unwinding and getting rid of some of these. So yeah, how are you feeling right now in terms of how many projects you currently have, or you've taken on, or you've said yes to? Where are you, where are you like on a scale like of like, I'm crazy much. busy to not at all? Well, I feel like I've got too much. I think I'm not crazy, crazy busy by my standards because I still have time to go for a two-hour breakfast with Katie if I want to. We still have time to go running, go to the gym, do what we want to. It's not crazy. It's more than I want it to be because there's other stuff I want to focus on, having fun, doing things, building Lego, who knows what it is. But there's, like, I've said yes probably to too much. Like on a scale, crazy busy was when I was running Rebel Business School and I was traveling around the country running a workshop every single day. Mm. The workshops are two week long. And then I would be doing the emails in the evening and running the business in the evening and then getting up and doing breakfast at seven before running the course. And that was crazy busy. That was like a nine or a 10. Now is probably like a six, but it's still too much given like I'm meant to be retired and having fun. And it's kind of like you're you're setting up the lifestyle that you want. So you're saying, okay, two hours is going to breakfast, which leaves a smaller window for getting these other projects done. So it almost can feel probably as busy because you're still trying to cram a ton of stuff into that small window of time. And that's kind of what I feel like as well. It's like, I'm a teacher, I'm on summer break, but at the same time, it doesn't quite feel like I'm on summer break because I've signed myself up for a lot of different things. <laughs> So the question, and, it, the question really is, is like, how do we, how do we acknowledge that about ourselves and how do we stop ourselves getting in this position? Cause obviously you say yes to these things when you're like, oh, you know, life's a little quiet right now. I've got some space. I can say yes to something. And then you realize at some point, all of these deadlines come together. They all converge at the same time. They all happen on the same day or same weekend. And you're like, this is crazy. Why did I ever say yes to this? <laughs> Are you feeling this way about this podcast right now, Rob? Well, <laughs> my, <laughs> not at all. No, I, this was something I was really looking forward to. Um, but like, for example, my Kickstarter for my children's book, Emma's for Money, um, launched this morning at 8 a.m. And as you, everyone who is listening to this podcast knows, if you've been following the coaching series with Jamie, uh, Kickstarters are not as simple as they I thought they were when I said yes to doing one. And I said yes to myself. I wasn't committing to Alan or having him call me on every two weeks to kind of say like, <laughs> what have you done, Rob? Um, so I had to kind of maintain my own schedule, but I still said, yes, this is something I want to do. And it, yeah, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. I had the end of a school year coming up and I also said yes to an old principal who asked me to move schools. So I had to like basically pack up my life in one school and put it in another school for the fall. The simple startups in my business, I have a course that just started last week. So kind of everything within the same two week period is kind of kicking off and going. So it's a very exciting time. I'm like, I'm super energized and pumped by being busy, but at the same time, it's very draining and I have to be very aware of the effect it can have on my relationships too. Yes, definitely. And I think there's several thoughts here. Number one, everything always takes longer than you think it will. Mm. So if you're launching a Kickstarter, like it's not just filling out the form and putting it online and going, I hope people come. There's like huge promotion. There's mailing lists. There's going on podcast tours to promote it. There's doing everything you can to get customers. And it, it 
It's basically the never-ending project if you want it to be. But yes. you could literally do as much as you can. If you gave us yourself a year to line up the Kickstarter, you could spend a year lining it up. It will expand to however big you want it to, which kind of brings on to the second thought, which is you can only do what you can only do. And scheduling like, okay, I need to spend time with my kids. I need to spend time with my family. I'm going to work on this for two hours. I'm going to do everything I can. All my energy, I'm going to leave nothing on the table. But once those two hours are done, that's it. No more checking the phone and sneakily sending a few messages to market. Like, go and be with my family. Because any of these business projects, I mean, you talk about the mission of Rebel and the mission of Simple Startup. That one thing is more than a lifetime project. Yeah. It's more than can ever be done. So we have to find a way to keep it in check and balance with doing what we actually want to do. So I know, and I know this is something that you've kind of taken on more recently as opposed to like in the beginning of your entrepreneurial career, but you're kind of saying like if we are blocking out spaces of time and saying, okay, this time is solely allocated for this project and when that's done, that's it. Would that be like one of your biggest strategies for sort of like trying to manage a lot of projects at once or keeping some sort of balance? This is a really good question because it's like, how do you actually I'm really asking for myself life? here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, sorry, everyone. I took over the podcast so I could come on and ask my own questions. Uh, so Al and I are having a private conversation that you guys get to be privy to. Well, hopefully it'll help everyone, the thoughts about this kind of stuff. I think the way I've started to think about it is in sprints. And if you take on a project, I like it to have an end date. I like it to have a completion date so I can know it can be done. Because other things, sometimes you start a business and there is no completion. There is no end. There is no way of doing that things. You have to just kind of keep going. And for the podcast, when I first did it, I was like, I'm committing to do it a season and then I'll have a break and then I'll come back and I'll do season two. And then I want to have a break and I want to put things into sprints because I quite enjoy working hard, Rob. I mm. like it. I like being full in. I like being immersed, but then I also want to like disappear and be 100% playing board games with my wife and not even think about starting a business. Uh, and I don't know if you've got heard of this expression, but like, be where you are. And I think in the past, I wasn't where I was. I'd be with my wife, but I was actually at work. Or I'd be out in the park going for a walk, and I was actually at work in my head. And what I'm trying to do now and I'm working towards is being exactly where I am. So when I'm here with you now, there is nothing else in the world other than you and the audience that I'm with. Nothing. I feel very special. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and I think that ability to schedule and to be exactly where you are and then like put a cap on it, put a note on it. This is where I got to. I'll come back to it the next day and not think about it again is really, really important. And your question of how do you not stretch yourself too thin? Like you're going to, this is part of life. You're going to go through phases of having too much and then having too little. And it, it always happens. And I actually think progress is at the extremes quite often. 
and you will stretch yourself and you will make stuff happen, then you'll need a break <laughs> and you'll need yes. a breather and that's okay. And then you'll put more stuff in there and you'll stretch yourself again. And that's also okay because that's how you grow. That's how you learn. So I think we shouldn't be too worried about overextending ourselves sometimes I think it's going to happen and you'll find a way to do it. You'll find a way through it and then you can relax again afterwards. Just don't do what I did and overstretch yourself for several years at a time. I think that's the difference is like you talked about project with a definite end date. And I feel like, yeah, if I know there's an end date, sure, I can push through this. I'll, I'll make it happen. So like a Kickstarter campaign for me, like, okay, there is a date that this will launch. There's a date it will close. There's a date that stuff will go out. It will eventually end up on Amazon. And at that point, it's kind of like, yes, it's there, but it's not a project that I have to devote a ton of time to anymore. Like there is a start and an end. Uh, the school year has a start and an end date. But a business, it depends on what you sign yourself up for. So like if you had signed yourself up to do a podcast that went every two days for the entire year, and you know, if you took a break, there was going to be a gap in in your schedule. Like there was going to be a gap in your commitment to what you had said you were going to do to your audience. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs can sign themselves up for that, particularly when you are in the beginning stages, you are the business and you have to be very careful about what you are committing to do for that business, what kind of business you're going to run. Um, Cause I say that to my students a lot, cause we do a six week or a 10 week course. And I tell them like, I want you to treat this as a six week to 10 week business, like not a, we're marrying this for the rest of our lives kind of thing. Let's make this a mini experiment, as you call it. And let's say that there's a definite end date on it, at which point you can decide I want to continue or I don't. Um, so how do we as entrepreneurs kind of like sign ourselves up for more of that and less of the kind of lifetime commitments that that becomes very overwhelming because now you signed yourself up to do a course every day, every week, every weekend, or run a podcast every day or answer emails every day or post on social media every day. Oh my goodness, there's so many things. <laughs> well, I think the key is stopping every now and again and going, do we still want to do this? And Simon and I, my business partner, Simon, who runs Rebel Business School, uh, we have an annual company retreat where we disappear for a week, normally to Poland because the pierogi is amazing and it's oh. cheaper there. Uh, and we spend a week talking about the business. And he used to get frustrated because every year I would go, do we still want to do this? <laughs> Do you like, like do you get the team together, to like put your hands up? Like, do you guys do you still want to do another year? Yes, no. And then <laughs> what happens if someone says um, no? <laughs> well, actually now that's an important part of it. So every year we go, here's all of the things we could do. Do we, which of these do we want to spend our year doing? Hmm. And for 10 years in a row, Rebel Business School won and we recommitted to it. But I think it was actually a really important part of the process to go, do we still want to do this? Is it, is it good? And then when you say yes, you feel a new lease of energy, a new direction, a new, and there's some parts of it you might want to let go. And there's other parts of it you might want to keep going, but you need to give yourself permission to reevaluate where you're going. And I think something you said earlier, people think they're choosing a business for the rest of their life. That's not the case. You just go, okay, I'm committing to do that this year and we'll see how we go. If I'm not enjoying it, if it's not working, I'll change and do something else. And change is okay. It's okay to do something else. You've got permission. Like if you no longer love what you do, you have permission to go do something else and try something else. And I think there's this deep 
inbuilt need in human psychology to remain consistent. I, I have committed to do this forever. Therefore, I will push through no matter the cost. And that's just daft. Like if it's not working for you and it's not working for the other people, let it go and do something else. I think that mentality applies to a lot of different areas of our lives. And it's one of the reasons why personal finance and financial independence is so important because it allows you that ability to say, pause, do I want to keep doing this or not? When we think about a job, when we think about where we live or the commitments we have in our life. And what a lot of people find is that if I don't have a emergency fund in place, if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, that I never get the moment, the pause to actually ask, do I want to continue doing this or not? Or have the choice to say, let's, let's stop and let's try something else. Uh, my wife and I used to say that like every year, like, you know, we choose every single day to remain committed to each other. Like, it's not like you have to say, <laughs> you know, this is this, you're locked in for life. Sorry, buddy. Like you're, you're never going anywhere. It's like, well, do we still choose to do this? And it's an interesting way to look at marriage, but by, by kind of even just framing it that way, I think we say like, yeah, like we, every day we choose to be in this together to keep doing this. Same thing with my job. I'm at the point where I'm like every school year, do I want to keep being a teacher? Yes. Okay. Let's go do this again. Um, and that's nice that, you know, school teaching at least has a definitive like start and end. It's not like you're kind of like, oh, this job just goes on forever and you have to kind of pick a, a transition point. <laughs> but I, I like that mentality of, you know, choose, choose it. And if you don't like it, you need to make a change and doing better with your finances, I think is one great way to allow yourself to do that. Picking small projects as opposed to long running things that never seem to have an endpoint is another one. I think one question I would add, which uh, Katie and I ask ourselves on a monthly basis, which for everyone out there, it's worth asking yourself this on a monthly basis in the different areas of your life. If things continue as they are, are we happy where we're heading? I like that. So for finances, at the end of the month, we go, if things continue as they are, are we happy where we're headed? Uh, and sometimes you look at it and go, it's going the wrong way. Uh <laughs> Be careful. Sometimes you look at it and go, wow, this is awesome. Just keep plowing on. But I think in business, if your business keeps going as it is, are you happy with the destination? If yes, forge in. If no, have a think about what to do differently. And I think just asking that in the seven or eight areas of life each month will really help people to go, are we heading in the right direction? And like the classic one is health. Um, have a look down now at your belly and go, am I happy with the direction this thing's growing? If not, do something about <laughs> can I, it. Can I see my toes or not? <laughs> and of course, you know, health health is something that is extremely personal. That's not as simple as that for a lot of people. But yes, like it's your health, your fitness, your mental health, your emotional health, your financial health. You can measure all of those things and say, am I happy with as you said, the direction it's going. No, I, I like that a lot. And let's say now that you're not happy. So your business, you're not happy with the direction you're going. You're not happy with the amount of things you've committed to. Do you have any strategies for unwinding that? Have you ever had to kind of just go to someone and say, look, I know I've committed to doing this, but I need to stop. This isn't right for me. Or I've said that I'm going to do this project, but really, you know what? I just don't have the time to do that. I need to either put it off for another date or I need to step back from it. Have you ever had to do that? Yes, many times, because things don't always go as you plan. Sometimes you go into something with the best of intentions and it doesn't end up where you want it to end up. And that's okay. That happens. You've done it with the best of intentions. I think the problems exist 
Rob, when people just avoid saying it. Mm. So they soldier on in pain. They know it's not working. And I guess I can give you an example of that. There's people who've come to work for our business and then gone, wow, this is harder than I thought. I don't necessarily like doing all the marketing or I don't like doing this forward bit. And then they soldier on because they feel like they've committed it rather than saying, like, this is painful. This is not what I thought. And it just ends up going badly. And the longer you put off calling that it's not going well, the worse it is. And to give you an absolutely micro example, I have learned to do this in meetings. So let's say you and I were having a meeting about a business project. About halfway through the meeting, I can see you're disinterested. Mm-hmm. You know, you've had those meetings where the other person, you can just see they're not really with you. They're thinking about what's next. Um, What most people do is ignore those signals, get to the end of the meeting, and then kind of hope they'll come back with a yes later. Because the worst strategy in the world ever. What I've learned to do is in that moment go, this meeting's not really going well. I don't feel like you're, I don't feel like we're quite connecting on this. Tell me what's going on for you. And it's really interesting when you do that, what people say. They'll go, yeah, it doesn't really seem to fit with this because of this, this, and this. And then they've given you what you actually need to tackle to help them. Or they go, no, no, it is. I'm just, I'm really sorry. I've had a text message from someone that says there's an emergency and my head's not quite here. And you go, well, okay, shall we reschedule? Shall we do something else? But if you don't call it, it's the worst thing you can do in the world because it just, it never goes anywhere. So if it's not going well, call it immediately, whether it's in a meeting, the project, the whatever it is. Like, I don't feel like this is working for you or me. Tell me, how do you feel? And it is fascinating what data you will gather. Yeah, I don't have many meetings myself now because I'm still in that solopreneur phase. So I have meetings with myself and that's it. But <laughs> I, I actually see a lot of... Uh, <laughs> A lot of transfer over to my classroom where I teach math. Um, you know, at least half my day I'm teaching a math class, so algebra, geometry, um, pre-calc, whatever you want to call. It. And yeah, there's as you can imagine, there's plenty of moments where I look out at these, you know, beaming faces, and <laughs> they're just not quite there. They're just you know they're doing something else. They're texting. They're not involved. And um, I have learned, I think, just from trial and error, to kind of stop at that point and try and figure out, okay, what's what's causing this barrier? Because yeah, if you don't address it, and you just soldier on like, yeah, you can kind of get to the end and be like, you know, job done. Let's move on next class. But if you don't address it, you're not being, you're not being an effective communicator. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're drilling in here. It's like being an effective communicator will help with that a little bit. Well, you're actually doing a disservice to the person sat opposite you. Yeah. Because if they're not quite getting it, they're not going to speak up. Let's be honest. Your average person will not speak up, especially kids. No, they're very polite. They're well, not going to speak up. Well, kid, kids polite, they sometimes will speak up. Let's be honest. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, most people will be like very respectful, especially if you're doing a presentation or a meeting. They're like, okay, you know, this person, they've tried really hard. They're, they're really passionate about what they're doing. I'm just not super into this, but I'm going to sit through it because I respect the person. Yeah. And then I'm going to leave and thankfully not have to deal with them anymore. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you tackle that halfway through and go, look, I just don't feel like my presentation is quite hitting the mark. Tell me what's going on with you. You will have a whole different conversation, whole different conversation. I think that's just great advice for any part of your life. Like if you're noticing the person opposite you is just not into what you're saying, it could be your 
spouse. It could be your kids. It could be a meeting, like push pause and see, like, can you engage with them again and figure out what's going on? Why are they not giving full attention? And then is this something that you can fix yourself or is it something that they need to fix? And you just need to give them space to do that. I think that's wonderful life advice too. But we're kind of getting off trackers. We started about what, what we started with, what happens when you're too busy? And we've ended up in these like deep life moments. Um, so I, I like where it went, but let's jump back into, we've gotten a little overwhelmed. And I'm thinking now from the solopreneur that you've built this business, it's kind of, it's almost plateauing because it can't go any further with the amount of time you can put into it um, or the skills that you have. And you're feeling overwhelmed. You're doing too many things. It's time to either start saying no to things and just be happy with where you are. So it's like more of a lifestyle business, or you're trying to scale it up a little bit and bring in more people. How do I know when that time is? Because is is that the right time for me? Like, should I be doing this right now? Well, I think you've struck on something in what you've said that is scalability. And there is such a drive in the entrepreneurial world to scale, to grow, to be the million dollar business. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we all want. But is it? Is it really? Is that what you really want? Or do you just need to build, like you said, a lifestyle business? And I just want to remove all of the pressure to scale for anyone listening to this. You don't have to scale if you don't want to. It's okay. And actually, it would have been far more sustainable for me if I'd have just gone, actually, I just want to run three or four rebel business schools a year, and I'll earn enough for me to live and I'll have some free time with my wife, and it's very happy, and I'll just do what I do. Yeah. And I think it's okay to do that, but there is such a drive to scale, which is why we keep taking on more, keep taking on more, and then we end up in these pickles where we've got too much, and we just don't know what to do with it. It reminds me of that parable of the uh, Mexican fisherman. Are you familiar with that one? I love the parable of the Mexican fisherman. It is excellent. Yes. Are you able to share Um, it with us quick, just in case anyone isn't familiar with it? Yeah, of course. So a wealthy businessman goes down to Mexico, uh, wants to go fishing, hires this guy on the beach and says, take me out fishing. They go out fishing. The Mexican fisherman's very chilled. He's just fishing away. And the wealthy businessman is like, you should scale this. You know, you should get another boat. Get your friends to take it out. Charge more for chartering it. Start to build a business. Turn this into a business. God, it actually sounds like me now. Uh, maybe it's me, the wealthy businessman, who's kind of driving them to do this. You just scale it, build it bigger, do this. And the Mexican fisherman's just kind of nodding. And the businessman kind of goes eventually like, okay, if you build this, you could get two boats and then five boats and then 10 boats, and then you could have an empire. You go public and, and then eventually you sell it and then... You get to retire on the beach and go fishing occasionally and take uh, naps with your wife and play with your kids. And yeah, the, the Mexican fisherman's kind of like, I do that already. Exactly. That is my life now. So why do I need to go through the middle bit to get to the life I actually want to get to? And I think that's a really interesting point for all of us listening. It's like, why are we doing this? What do we actually want life to be like? And can we skip all of the stuff in the middle and just go to the end result. Because why do we have to go through all of that? So if you want your life to be, I don't know, whatever it is, releasing X a week, doing this, doing something every few weeks, there's no reason why you can't jump to the end result at times. Yeah. And there are, there are plenty of business people out there who will go down that traditional route of 
we're going to start something, we're going to get funding, and within five to seven years, we're going to scale it up to such a point where we can sell the business, exit, and we've pocketed maybe a couple million and done. And you hope that they're done, but it's kind of hard, I think, sometimes to just turn off the switch at that point. Um, or you kind of you're approaching this idea of a lifestyle business where you're saying, what do I want my life to look like? And then let's create a business that fits within that lifestyle and supports it. And you try not to let it grow to be this monster that actually ends up eating more of time and more energy and more of your money than it's supposed to. So yeah, how do we how do we keep it a lifestyle business? And then if say like for me, like I, I like the idea of a lifestyle business, I don't have any aspirations to make millions from the simple startup. I like running one or two camps, uh, you know, a year at this point, but I would love to maybe start hiring help to, again, ease that burden, allow me to kind of step back from it a little bit. I don't need a corporation, but I would like the idea of, I'm going to call it the vacation test as opposed to the revolver test, that if I go on vacation, <laughs> will my business keep running? <laughs> yes, that's probably a far nicer test than the one I actually talk about, the revolver test. Um, it actually took me many years to pass that test. And I did many experiments along the way. Mm -hmm. And the first experiment was we were running the uh, event at Mr. Money Mustache's headquarters. We went and ran a rebel business school there. And I had two weeks beforehand to go to Houston to travel around Texas to see Katie's family. So we were gone for a month. And that was kind of a test. Like you said, the vacation test. I'm gone for a month. Does the business still operate? And I came back and I was like, oh, nothing's happened. And that clearly showed me that the business does not work without me. Even though I had people we were paying, like we had a whole team. Yeah, you're not just, a solopreneur at this point. Like you're- No, you're, stuff you're, didn't you're happen. you got a couple of people working for you. It's my drive. And that was the thing we learned was the, the team spoke about an Allen-shaped hole. It was like my drive, my energy. And when that vanished, it was really interesting. They're just like a vacuum- um, so the next time we prepared for it, we did something different. I disappeared for two months and uh, it was a lot better. They actually did stuff. Things were going on. We learned from experiment one. Problem was in experiment two, no one checked the finances. Mm. Like not once in two months we were gone, not once. And we lost money whilst I was gone. So I was a little bit peeved. I was mildly peeved. Um, but it's a learning <laughs> Let's be thing. Honest, I've, heard, I've heard that conversation with you and Simon on one of the older episodes. <laughs> There was, there was more than just a little peeved. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you, but that you, was experiment two. And then you go, okay, well, someone needs to like own finances because that was traditionally me. And you do experiment three and eventually you learn, oh, it'll work this way. The question you said is when do you know when to hire, take on contractors, expand and for me, I always waited too late. I waited until I was too busy. The advice I would actually give to people is don't do what I did. It's do it before you need it when you're at 80% capacity. Because when you're at 120% capacity, you don't have the time and energy to bring this new person on, help them figure it out. You'll be rushed. And you end up doing this thing of going, well, okay, like training you takes longer than me just doing it myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to do it. You do a disservice to that person. They feel sort of cut out and slighted and they're not really doing it. And it's only because you've got a desire to get things done and it's too slow. Get out of my way. Let me do it. And it just doesn't work. So don't make the mistakes I did. 
hire at 80% capacity, you get a contractor, get someone to help you with a few bits, start to bring them on, develop them, they learn the business. You've got the time to give them. Don't wait until you're 120% capacity and screaming at the sides to take someone on. I think a lot of us wait for 120% capacity because then we're like, okay, my business is bringing in enough revenue that I could now afford to hire somebody else and kind of spread the load out. And plus I need to because it's 120% capacity and I can only do 100. So yeah, trying to preempt that and feel like, okay, I I can do it all myself at the moment because we're at 80, but I want to try and spread that out. And it probably means that we could grow and now start operating consistently at 120% capacity because there's now another person who can take on a lot of the stuff. But I feel like that's sometimes a leap of faith for a lot of businesses. They're like, okay, it's comfortable at 80. It's fine. I can manage it. The amount of revenue coming in is good. But by taking on someone else, that revenue is going to drop potentially temporarily, or maybe it goes up. Who knows? Would you take on a contractor, an employee, or a business partner first? Oof, there's a question. Because uh, we talk about that in the simple startup. It's like the people that can be involved in your business. You've got the peop- the partners are the ones who are going to profit share with you. They've, they're going to bring something new to the table. They're going to divide the workload with you. You've got the employee who you're going to, you know, they're going to make them part of this company. You're going to pay them a salary or a piecework kind of wage or something like that. And then you've got the contractor who you're bringing in temporarily to do a very defined set of roles. And then you can always cancel that contract at the end or let them go. So I think those are three different categories. Yeah. Which one do you bring in first? So I'll tell you what I did and then I'll tell you what I would do now because uh, they're very different things. You learn along the way. What I did was hire someone and I got to 120% of capacity. I was overstretched, but I'd had enough in the bank that I had a year's salary for this person. So I felt like confident that I could bring them on for a year and see how it goes. And Henry was the first ever person that joined Rebel Business School. I hired him completely outright. Yeah, and it was really interesting. Like we were figuring it out together. And he'll he'll tell you, I'm not being out of place, but he'll tell you he was absolutely useless for the first year. <laughs> um, and he tried his hardest and we were figuring it out together. And I was useless as a manager in some ways. I didn't know what I was doing. So it was quite painful, but we did it. We got through it. And actually, like, he runs the business now. So it's ended up well. I think if I was going back again, I'd take a contractor. I'd have a defined thing. I'd go, okay, do this piece. We'll work out how it works. I'd be more process-driven, thinking about, like, where does this person fit within the process of my business? And how does it free up me to do what I'm doing? And one of the classic things at the start is the paperwork, the finances. Like you get all these receipts, you have all this paperwork. Like that's an easy thing to outsource and to get someone to help with. And it's very defined. So maybe that's your first test is getting someone to help with the finances, the paperwork, make sure it's all done, the invoices is done, all of that stuff. That's a really easy one to test. And then thinking about other small elements that you can outsource, that would be how I would start to do it now. Um, at the time, I was just like, I need help. Panic. <laughs> that's that's advice I got from, um, I actually hired an author coach for my kid's book. Um, this was a big move for me because I was like, this is not a very simple startup thing to do where I'm like actually going to pay for, you know, it's not, it's not bootstrapping it. I'm like the simple startup I bootstrapped. I did it from, you know, a $0 startup. This one, I'm like, I want to put a little bit more money into educating myself. I'm speeding up the process by 
bringing someone else's experience in. And I think that was a valuable lesson for me that I could do that. I was in a position to do that. It was an organic growth from the simple startup. It wasn't me just throwing money at a project and hoping, crossing my fingers that it was going to work and I was going to make it back. I was very okay with losing it. But she was like, this is Aaron Lowry, by the way, for anyone who wants to know. Um, she was saying that, you know, you probably want to look at hiring a VA as you end your Kickstarter and you build up to launching on Amazon because you're going to have a lot of scheduling of public appearances, podcasts, you're going to have emails, you're going to have social media, there's going to be a lot to manage. And it can be a lot for one person to take on. And you may end up kind of doing it at 50% of what it should be. If you don't try and hire that out. And I was like, okay, that's very sound advice and probably something I need to listen to. So yeah, how would you go about even trying to hire someone for a position like that? Because I've never hired anyone. Uh, maybe I've actually hired a Fiverr gig before. That's about it. But yeah, how do you hire somebody for something like a virtual assistant who's going to just kind of schedule stuff for you, handle maybe some of your billing, your invoices, kind of just allow you the space to focus on what you do really well? So I think first up, I've had very mixed results hiring virtual assistants. We've had experiments with it over the years. Uh, I found one of these online businesses that hired you a VA from another country at a lower dollar amount. Um, they helped me helped me for two months, and I actually felt like I was making backwards progress. Alan did quotation like, marks on helped there. He's not being serious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for the pointing podcast, that out. Alan. Sometimes I forget. Uh, um, but I was actually feeling like it was detrimental, like I was having to undo what they did and it wasn't working. And I don't think I defined what they did enough. I wanted them to help with emails. Simon and I have again hired another VA to help with emails because we had too many. And they went through and sorted lots of stuff and spent a month doing it. And I felt like I was in more of a mess afterwards than I was before. I think it can actually be quite tough to do that. Where it has worked is there's, I have a, a guy called Patrick, who's the podcast manager, and we have a once a call, once a week call, and we have a project list that we go through, and he takes actions and moves on, and then we check in on those actions the next week, and it's working really, really well. Um, where do you go about finding those people? Like the people per hour, the Fiverr, the Upwork, you can find someone. It's about how you work with them. And I think in the past, I've been like, just solve this thing for me. I don't even want to hear about it. Just solve it. I'm too busy. Whereas what I need to do is just slow down, have a meeting with them once a week, make sure we know what their tasks are, what my tasks are, focus on doing them. And I think it's actually how you manage them is more important than where you hire them. Yeah, I, that's what I took out of what you just said there is that if you're just hiring a body and you're expecting them to be this basically a mini entrepreneur within your business that's going to revolutionize your email system and it's going to work for you, you're probably asking for a little bit too much versus like actually having a detailed description of what you need done, writing out your processes and letting them see, okay, step-by-step, step, this is how I did it. Maybe start there and then see, can you improve this process in some way? but you're making sure that they're giving you what you need at the end of the day, as opposed to like, here's a project, go make something happen here. And let's hope that it's actually something that I actually want. Yes. Without actually telling them exactly what you want. You just kind of hope they fix it. Yeah. You, yeah. Which I've never been historically good at going, this is what success looks like. So um, here's the project. 
this is what success writing down my processes either. Like, are you good at doing that? Like if you need to take a task that you are fully responsible for and you have to give it to somebody else, are you able to say, here's the step-by-step process of how to do it? Or do you kind of have to think backwards then and be like, all right, now I've got to really kind of go through this methodically and think about here's every step to doing it. I'm not very good at doing it when I'm doing it because I just do it. Just do it. However, so actual life, live example of this right now, the Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Series, uh, Simon and KC from the Rebel Business School both expressed interest of doing a series. So finding someone to coach and helping them. And then I have to go, well, okay, how do I make this as easy as possible for them to be able to do it? And I created a PowerPoint because um, that's my that's method of communication. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and this PowerPoint had, okay, here's what you need. Step one, here's the description of like a good person for the coaching series. Step two, just do one episode, like have a go, see how it feels. Step three, this, here's where you file the files. Here's where you write the description. Here's how you do the spreadsheet that has release dates for the podcast episodes. Um, here's what a good picture looks like for the podcast. And I just laid it all out in a PowerPoint document and sent it to them um, and said, let me know if you have any questions. Casey's now on episode two, episode three, and she seems to be enjoying it. And it worked really well. And what I've created, she comes back with questions ago. I don't get this, Alan. Then I update the document. And if anyone else then ever joins up and like wants to run a rebel entrepreneur coaching season, where it's like 12 episodes, help someone to, make progress on their business. I've got this document that says exactly how to do it, uh, awesome. which makes life so much easier. I never would have done that in my twenties. I fought against it. I hated it. But in my thirties and forties, I realized the value and the power of process. I realized it for myself when I was doing my courses. So I would run a summer challenge, a fall one, a winter one. And then I, I went from winter to summer again this past year. And I realized in winter that when summer came around, I had totally forgotten the step-by-step of how to set up my course. And I was having to reinvent the wheel every single time. So this time, opened up my Google Doc. And as I was creating the new course, I was writing steps for myself down there. And in my head, I'm like, someday I'm going to be able to hand this to somebody else and they're going to do it for me. <laughs> someday it's going to happen, Alan. <laughs> but at least for well, next time, I'm going to be like, okay, I can follow my own process now and just you know mm-hmm. quickly make this thing happen. So I'm going to streamline it for myself a little bit too. It really helps you just to go back and go, what the heck did I do last time? Yeah. And you've got it written down. You're like, oh, that's awesome. I can just go through it. It makes life so much easier, so much easier. And I think- I used to rush task to task to task because I wanted to get stuff done. Now I've realized just take a little bit longer on each task and do it properly. Make some notes, file it properly, and it will save you so much time in the future. So much time. Um, But you think you're being quick. You think you're being quick. You think you're getting more done, but actually the opposite is true. You need to slow down to get more done in the future. Yeah, take the time to create a template that you can reuse in the future. Make sure you label it correctly so that when you need to find it again later, you can do that. Especially, I find that with like graphics that I create. Like if I'm in a rush, I just create a graphic. It goes in untitled or it's got some random jumble after it. And I can never find it again afterwards. And then I have to go build it again from scratch when I want to do an updated version of it. Versus if I just took the extra two minutes, labeled it correctly, and then I can just update it in the future. That would have been a much smarter thing to do. But I, I'm still learning, everyone. I'm still learning. <laughs> 
We all are. We all are, especially when you start something new. I've been on a two-year learning process with this podcast of how to file, organize, best manage, how to do the inline editing. But you don't know any of this stuff when you start. You have to kind of make it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that I get to just hand this to you and Andrew and everyone else afterwards. And I'm like, here you go, guys. You figure this out because I would have no clue how to turn this into a finished product. But you know, I appreciate. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to learn with new tasks, new businesses, new adventures in life. And I think what the purpose of this podcast has actually been was trying to find ways to streamline it, make it more efficient, not let it be this overwhelming monster in your life, and just kind of keep it in small sections of mini projects that you can do, you can complete. And I think that final part was make sure you give yourself the opportunity to reassess and say no at any point that, you know what, this isn't working for me. I want to stop it. I want to try something else, or I just need to back away from it for a while. Um, I also liked Alan's strategy of kind of going through mini sprints where you sprint for a little while, you work hard, and then you give yourself a break afterwards and you schedule yourself a break. Um, That sounds like a very appealing thing to me too. I think I like to work. I like to be busy. I like I don't know. There's just some sort of energy that comes when you're like, there's deadlines everywhere and something just has to happen. And you're amazed at the amount you can get done in that time. But if you don't give yourself that break afterwards, you just, you get exhausted. And then it, then it becomes a forced break that is not good for anybody. So Alan, any other final, I guess, tips, ideas for just kind of streamlining that kind of busyness? Like let's just kind of tone it down and make it something more manageable. Is there any, is there any kind of thought that we haven't covered today? Like, you know what? It's important for people to know this. I think- The really, really important bit of this is to know where you're going and then break it down into actions. And I don't think we've really spoken about that yet on this podcast, Mm -hmm. but where am I actually heading? What am I building? And you've got that. You've got your Kickstarter. You've got your book. I know I'm heading. That's a lovely chunk. Okay, I'm heading to that. I've got an exact target. I just need to do the promotion. I need to get it out there and do it. I think most people never take the time to go, where am I actually heading with this business? <laughs> what do I want it to be like? What do I want it to look like? And you just take your first best guess and go, here's what it'll look like. Let's head in that direction for a while and see how it feels. And then you ask the question, if it keeps going in this direction, am I happy with where I'm going? And you can change. But you have to have some kind of a direction some kind of thing, some kind of mission, some kind of like overall thing you're heading towards to be able to know whether you're happy with it. And I think that is right at the top. And I think it's really easy when you're doing a Kickstarter because you have a direct target. But let's say you're starting a photography business. Now that's a lot harder. Like what actually, where am I going? Am I just doing photography? What am I doing? And maybe it is, I just want to get to the stage where I have three shoots booked a week. That's my goal. And I will do what I need to do to get to there and then see how I feel along the way. Or you bake it down. Maybe you're you're building a bakery and you go, okay, I just want to get to the stage where I bake three loads of X. I've sold out and I am happy. Yes. And I know that is a it's amazing. We we were in um Germany, a famous pizza restaurant. It's got very famous, but it said like they sell out, make sure you get there early. And that's so anti the American way of doing business. Like, what do you mean they sell out and close? We have a donut like, shop well, that does that too. It's like, yeah, by 11 a.m. on a weekend, they are sold out of their gourmet donuts and they're okay with it. And they're happy. Yeah, Everyone's happy. And that's it. You don't have to keep producing 
all day long and like until there's stuff left. Like you can just go, I am happy at this level, get there and see how you feel. See if you want to do more, see if you want to go. But I think having that goal of, I just want to get to the stage where I produce X or I do Y or I've got this coming in gives you a focus for your business. Uh, and then you can know whether you get there. You can know if you're on target. You can know what you're doing. I, I like that a lot because I think many of us, especially in the beginning stages, we're just, we're happy to be working. We're happy to be producing. Someone is selling something or buying something. And we don't take the moment to think about where do I really want this to go? What do I want this to look like in the future? And am I taking steps that are going to get me to that goal? Or am I just continuing with this day-to-day grind that has no real direction to it? So yeah, I think that's a great final piece to end on. Just check yourself. Have I set myself any sort of long-term vision or target? It can always change. You can always reassess it. You can always change it. You can always update it. Again, this is not something that has to be written in stone, but have something that you're like, yeah, this is my goal for the next five months, the next year, five years, whatever time scale you want to put on it. And are my actions today helping bring me towards that goal? All right. So Alan, um, thank you so much for inviting me to take on this podcast today. It has been a true pleasure getting to work with you and getting to interview and ask you some questions. And I hope all of you at home, you actually were able to benefit from the conversation. Cause like I said, this was totally selfish. I just wanted it an hour with Alan and it's so hard to lock Alan down for an hour. So (laughs) this was the only way. (laughs) Thank you for hosting it. So expertly, Rob, if people listening want to find out more about you, where do they go to learn about your projects, the Kickstarters, what you're up to? So yeah, if you are interested in the Kickstarter, it's currently running at the moment. We're recording this on July 1st, 2021. So it's going to be running for the next 30 days. Um, it, you can find that at mismormoneybook.com. There will be a link to the live Kickstarter, and then I'll keep the link up there for anyone who wants to check in on afterwards and see what actually happened with this thing. Um, very excited. It's 20% funded on day one, and we're a little over five hours into it. So I'm very optimistic we're going to hit our targets. Uh, my business, The Simple Startup, you can find at thesimplestartup.com. And if you want to reach out to me or get in contact, that is definitely a way you can do that. My email is rob at the simple startup.com. And I would love to hear from you. All right, awesome. Alan. Yep. I don't know who wraps this up. Is it me or you? It's still kind of your podcast. Well, would you like to end with the inspirational message? Cause I feel like we need a message for the audience to go out and take away. Oh, I can't, I can't match you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to just be you. So inspirational message is have that vision, have that purpose. Um, I think humans are happiest when they seek out purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And if you have given thought to those three things in your life, are you currently happy with what you are doing, how you're doing it, and where you're doing it? And if not, try and set yourself a vision and see, can you take actions today that will get you towards that vision? You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.